you recognise some of those faces? Yeah. What have they all got in common? They're newsreaders. Yeah. Who's the one in the top left? Dan Walker. Did you know Dan Walker's a Christian? Yeah, Dan Walker is a Christian. Who's next to him? Who said that? You obviously don't have much to do between the hours of 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock of a morning. You spend all your time watching the BBC News. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Okay, going back further in time now. Bottom left-hand corner, Trevor McDonald. Now, this is for the old-timers. Who's the guy in the middle at the bottom, in the middle? Cut. Not Winston Churchill. Anybody recognise him at least? Yes. Uh, yeah, a few of the yeah, ladies who are in their 30s over there recognise him. Robert Mc... Robert McDougall. Yes. And the other guy? Peter Sissons. Yeah. They're all newsreaders. They're all people we turn in on the television of a morning... And they all tell us the news. Good news, bad news, fires in Australia, President Trump trying to start a war somewhere in the Middle East, all of that kind of thing. Their job is to tell us the news. Let's have the next one. Don't know if you can read it from there, but that's a copy of what's called the Emancipation Proclamation. And that was issued by President Abraham Lincoln of the United States on the 1st of January 1863. United States were three years into their civil war and one of the issues in the civil war was slavery. And on the 1st of January 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued what was called the Emancipation Proclamation which basically said all persons held as slave are and henceforth shall be free. So it was basically a declaration all over America, every slave is now no longer a slave. They're set free, they don't have to serve their slave master anymore. That was on the 1st of January, 1863. So on the 2nd of January, 1863, how many slaves were set free? All of them. Because the proclamation had been made. The news had gone out, every slave who lives in the United States is now a free man. Technically. But a lot of them hadn't heard about it. And it was only as the Republican forces won victories, beat the Confederates, that they were able to announce to the people in the areas they took, you're a free man now. You don't have to work on the sugar plantations. Your wife doesn't have to be raped by the slave owner. Your children can now go free. They don't have to be born into this multi-generational slave trade. You can go. You can set up your own business. You can go and make something of your own. You are now a free man. And as people went out telling the good news, the good news that was declared on the 1st of January, 1863, was then made real in thousands and thousands of lives all across America as people just took off their chains and walked away and went away as free people. And that was good news for them. I want to focus this morning, though, the same Jesus 
It's a new year, but the same Jesus. And I just want to focus this morning and hopefully get us this new year rooted in something that is not just an emancipation proclamation saying that people who are slaves on sugar plantations are free, but people like us who are slaves to shame, fear, guilt, insecurity. We can go free because of what Jesus has done. Let's have a look at the next slide, please. I've wrestled over the past couple of weeks of what Bible passage to bring to root us in this. And this is the one that's really been on my heart for a few weeks now. It's in John chapter 19, about Jesus on the cross and his last few minutes alive before he dies. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus, knowing everything was now completed, he'd lived the perfect life. He died the death in place of us. He was punished for our sins. He took the full wrath of God against our sin. He took the judgment of God against us in his own body. And Jesus, knowing all that was completed, the last words he said was, it is finished. And that was the end of the matter. And each one of us now means we can have a relationship with God. We can have peace with God. We can have restored relationship with other people. We can start to live out God's kingdom purpose on this earth. Instead of being people who just walk along, kicking a can down the road and wondering what on earth we're here for, God puts his purpose in our lives, causes us to be born again, new creation people, with a new purpose, with a new love, and a new direction for our lives. And he puts us, as Mike said, into a family of like-minded people, imperfect people, people who are still undergoing change, but he puts us into his own family called the church. And I was sitting around, looking around this morning, I thought, great to see so many new faces, people who weren't here this time last year, people who over the past few months, over the past few weeks have come in here and said, yes, Faith Church is my home because God's building his family. That's God's purpose, to have a family on the earth. And the way we get into that is by realizing the good news of what Jesus has done. And we come to Jesus. Bible calls it repentance. Bible calls it confessing our sins. And we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I need you in my life. Will you give me that new heart? Will you give me a new start? And God wipes away all of our sins, takes away all all of our past, and gives us a brand new start in life. That's just the gospel, the good news in a nutshell. Let's have a look at the next one, though, please, Rich. Do you recognize that one? Who is it? Oprah Winfrey. Nice lady. But the thing is... So many churches, so many mosques, 
So many synagogues, so many tem temples, so many TV programs are all just churning out the same kind of stuff. Life therapy, life improvement, how to have a better life. Your marriage is a mess. Your family's dysfunctional. Your kids are going wild. I'm not just talking about you there, Mike, but it's just about society in general. It's about life today. And so people just come in and offer advice. They say there's a holy God, there's a man upstairs who's holy, and if you want to get to heaven, you need to impress him in some way. So people go on pilgrimages, they dedicate their lives doing all kinds of good stuff, trying to impress God and please God. They try and get into his good books and try and earn some brownie points. And you can read books, you can read articles by the score on the internet about how we need to do something to try and either impress this God, if he exists, because that's what religion is. And whether your God is Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus, the God of the Jews, whatever it is, it's all about man trying to get their way to heaven or just give themselves a better life, more income, and a happier family. And it's all about what we need to do. But it's only the good news of Jesus that can bring about real and lasting transformation. Because the good news of Jesus isn't primarily about what we do, but it's about what Jesus has already done. When Jesus said, knowing that all things were completed, Jesus said, it is finished. So I don't need to impress God. And God doesn't love me anymore. And God's not impressed with me anymore because I'm standing here preaching this morning. God doesn't think, oh, great, Phil, that's wonderful. Extra place in heaven. No, I get to heaven because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what I do. And I don't make my salvation any more secure by preaching or by doing any other stuff. It's Jesus who makes my salvation secure. Anything else that we try and do is just done out of a sense of duty. Trying to impress God, trying to win favour with God, trying to make my place in heaven any more secure is what people call legalism. It's based on what I do rather than what Jesus has done. If you take a look at the New Testament, there's two things that are basically the heartbeat of the gospel. There's the content of the gospel and the implications of the gospel. The content of the gospel is what Jesus did. Jesus lived a perfect life. I didn't. Jesus lived the perfect life so that I could now be called righteous. And if you've given your life to Jesus, you can stand shoulder to shoulder with every other Christian in the world, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus and saying, yes, we're on level ground here because I'm made righteous because of what Jesus has done, not by what I have done. It's about who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, but he's also 100% man. It's about the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in our life. It's about knowing God and the time when your heart is breaking, you can just look God in the eye, as it were, and say, Papa, Abba, 
Father, you're my daddy. You care for me. You love me. You look after me. You provide for me. And it's about having that kind of relationship with God. That's the content of the gospel. But then there's the implications of the gospel. The unpacking of the gospel. And if you were to go into a lot of churches, chapels, and other religious places this morning, whatever kind of worship they have, whatever kind of music they have, the sermon would consist of something like this. If you want to have a better life, you need to do this. If you want to have more money, you need to do this. If you want to have a better society, you need to do this. If you want to have a better family, a better marriage, you need to do, 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 do. And it's all about doing. But if we look at the New Testament, Paul never, ever, ever takes that approach. Paul always works on the basis of, you're a Christian, now therefore, because you're a Christian, let that decision you made to follow Jesus affect the rest of your life. Let's give you a few examples. Can we have the first one up out of Ephesians, please? It's there. They're all there. You look at the book of Ephesians, and Paul starts off in chapter 1 telling us how Jesus came to earth because of the grace, the mercy, and the kindness of God. How Jesus died, how Jesus was buried, how Jesus was raised to life. And then he tells us in chapter 2 how we died with Jesus, how we were buried in baptism, how we've been raised to a new life, how God's Holy Spirit is living in us and living in the church and how God is working out his purposes on planet Earth right now through the church. And then towards halfway through the letter, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've been called to. So it's only halfway through the letter after Paul has spent time teaching the church who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. You're forgiven. It's by the grace of God. You're new people. You're the church of God. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, because of this, live a life in accordance with that. So many churches would start at chapter 4 and say, come on, you miserable lot. This is how you've got to live now. You profess to be a Christian. Paul never, ever does that. He starts with the gospel. He unpacks who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. And then he says, therefore, look at the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. That's just a commentary on the world today. How people have turned away from God. Don't seek God. And in Romans 1, 2 and 3, Paul talks about how each one of us before God, we're guilty, we're hopeless, we're helpless. But then in Romans chapter 4, he begins to unpack that the only way we're made right with God is by believing in him, by trusting in him, having confidence in him, just like Abraham did. And then in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about how now we used to be in Adam linked to that bloodline, but now we're 
in Jesus, were new creation people, were reigning in life as kings. Then in Romans 6, he talks about the power of sin being broken in our lives. In Romans 7 and 8, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to live a new life, to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, and how God makes us more than conquerors. And then in Romans 9, 10 and 11, Paul talks about how God chose each one of us and called us by name and said, Jack, Laura, I'm going to have you. Mike, I'm going to have you. I'm going to pick you, Michael. I'm going to pick you, Jack. You belong to me. How God calls us out for himself. And then, two-thirds of the way through Romans, he says, Therefore, because of all this, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. He's basically saying, look, I've spent the last 11 chapters telling you about how Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to you, for you. Why don't you do the same and offer yourself as a living sacrifice and surrender everything to Jesus? And then he unpacks it, how we should live as family, how we should respond to the government. He does the same in Colossians as well. He unpacks the gospel And then halfway through the letter in Colossians 3 verse 5, he says, put to death therefore, because of this, because of all that Jesus has done for you, because of who Jesus is, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So he always starts with the gospel. Paul never starts off and says, come on, you miserable lot. 2020, you need to pull your socks up and do better and be more holy this year. Paul doesn't do that. He starts by reminding us who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, who we are as Christians. And then he says, now if all of that is true, start to live in line with it. Because the gospel, knowing the good news, does what Paul says should cause us to respond of, oh Jesus, you've done all of this for me. Take my life. What does he, him say? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. But if we don't understand the gospel, if we don't understand what Jesus has done, then we'll come into church and we'll try this for a few weeks and we'll try that and we'll, uh, don't like this church, we'll go to another church and then maybe we won't go to a church for a few months and then we'll come back to the first church and we'll just be flitting around. But someone who's understand the gospel, someone who understands the amazing love of Jesus in view of God's mercy says, Jesus, I just want to be a sacrifice to you. You gave everything for me. Jesus, I want to give everything to you in response. C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a lot of other books as well, he said something along the lines of, if the gospel, the good news, is false, then it's the biggest scam and the biggest contract ever in the world. But if the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is true, then the implications for each one of our lives are huge. Because whatever we do with the gospel, we can't ignore it. 
we can say it's a pack of lies and I don't believe in God. Or we can say, Jesus, I'm just surrendering to you and giving you my life. There's only one of two responses. Because such amazing love doesn't call for like a, mm, yeah, that's okay, I'll take that if I want it. Yeah, see you again next year and I'll try another church in the It doesn't work like that. God loves us passionately. And he wants the response of our heart to be passionate, reckless love to him as well. So just to sum up with three points. This coming year, I believe God wants you to be like Nagaman Chetty, to be like Robert McDougall, to be like Dan Walker, to be like Peter Sissons and Trevor McDonald. And if there was another one, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. But God wants you to be a newsreader. Does anyone know what the word evangelist means? What's an evangelist? What does the word actually mean? Sent out, that's apostle. Close. An apostle is a sent out one. Evangelist literally means a good news teller. That's what it literally means. Good news teller. So unlike the news readers we saw at the beginning, who sometimes, you know, if you ever watch the news, especially the late night news, because the BBC and ITV and Sky don't like you to go to bed thinking, you know, Australia's burning, there's going to be nuclear war in the Middle East, and, oh, well, that's a nice closing thought for the day, we'll go to bed. They always put something silly on the end of the news, don't they? You know, like somebody's done something amazing or, you know, somebody's learned how to do 50 backflips while their legs are crossed. Or so, you know, they just do silly stuff at the end of the news just to cheer you up, give you a little perk as you go to bed. You've had 25 minutes of depression. Then you've seen the weather forecast and then they come on with something just to, oh, you know, there's somebody there. They can do backflips. Ah, oh, the world isn't coming to an end after all. But God wants us to be good news announcers this coming year and every other year as well. Can I ask you, before I tell you who we're to tell the good news to, can I ask you, who's the most influential person in your life? Think back to 2019. Who did you listen to most last year? Who has shaped your worldview, the way you look at the world this past year? Who has shaped your emotions and the way you feel about yourself more than anyone else this year? I'm not going to ask for a shout out. Because the person who has influenced you most this past year, the person you have listened to most this past year, is you. It's not your wife. It's not that podcast you listen to on the way to work. The most influential person in your life is you. The person you spend most of your time listening to is you. 
When you're in bed at night and your thoughts are just going over and over and over. When you're driving the car, when you're walking along the road. You listen to your own voice more than you listen to any other voice on this planet. And you are the most influential person in your life. And if what you are telling yourself is constantly, I need to do better, I could do better. God's mad at me, God's sad at me, God needs to be impressed more, I need to do something more to make my salvation secure. If that's the kind of news you're telling yourself day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, ad infinitum, then you will be a very discouraged, downcast, depressed person. But the first person you need to tell the good news to, if we can have a look at the next slide, please, is yourself. Let's have a look at the next one. The person you need to be reminding about the good news of Jesus more than anyone else is your own self. You need to constantly be reminding Jesus has finished it. Jesus has paid the price for my sins in full. And as Mike was saying earlier, some of you are going to, well, he didn't say this, but the implication is there. Some of us are going to blow it big time this year. Some of us, by the end of this month, are going to fall flat on our faces. And if people in this church find out the things we do, we would be embarrassed and hang our heads in shame. But God's grace, the gospel of Jesus, is much more than enough for anything we will ever face this year. Because God's word to us is, it is finished. Whatever sin, and this isn't giving you a license to go out and do it, but God's word for you is, the price has been paid for that. You will fall, you will sin, but the price has been paid. You can be forgiven, shame can be broken, anxiety can be overcome, the guilt can be taken away from your heart because of what Jesus has done for you. So we need to constantly remind ourselves of that. Colossians 3 verse 16, a literal translation says, let the word about Christ dwell in you richly. The word about Christ, that's the good news. And we're to let it dwell in us richly, in an abundant measure. Has anyone here moved house in the past six months? Put your hands up, yeah. So, have you done any decorating? Not yet. Oh, you've ruined my illustration. Do you plan to do some decorating? No. Oh, okay. Who's been doing... Yeah, Mandy, Ed and Mandy, you've moved. You've got to do some decorating. You're changing the ethos of Ernest Howell, or as us Brummies would say, Ernest Highwell. <laughs> You're changing it a bit, aren't you? You're putting your stamp on it. Because people in a year's time will go there and say, Ed and Mandy live here. Their stamp is on it. Their influence is on that centre up there. And it's the same with us. When the word of God comes into our lives, it should dwell in us, begin to shape us. That word about Jesus, that good news, that gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, who I am as a Christian, it begins to dwell in us and not just sort of sit there on the bookshelf in our life, but it starts to shape my thinking. It starts to shape about how I view the world. So I don't view the world as an out of control, as a chaos. But Jesus is Lord. He's causing his kingdom to come. The bank statement might say such and such. 
But God's word says, he's the Lord my shepherd and he's going to meet all of my needs. I might feel ridden by guilt and shame, but the word about Christ says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So rather than interpreting the world by what I feel about myself, I let the word about Jesus start to shape me and start to influence me. Let's have a look at the next one, please. Other people who need to know the good news are the other people in this room, other Christians you know. Paul wrote to the Roman church and said, I'm eager to declare the good news to you also who are in Rome. I ask questions when I preach, and the answers usually are fairly easy. And the answer's right there behind me. So who did Paul want to preach the gospel to? To the Romans, yeah. Who's specifically in Rome? The church. Well, hang on. Paul says, I want to come to Rome, to the church at Rome, and I want to preach, declare, and announce the good news of Jesus to you. I could have just written back and said, Paul, no need to come. We're already Christians. We know the good news. We want to go on to some deeper stuff. Tell us about Nebuchadnezzar's statue and what that means. Let's do a Bible study on the Antichrist, Paul. We want to know some deeper stuff. But Paul says, no. I want to come to you who are already Christians. And I want to tell you the good news. Because as Christians, we need to constantly remind each other about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and who we are as Christians. Because if we don't, we soon start to slip into that, I need to impress God. So, and I'm not picking on you, Michael, but you hit a few bum notes, and he thinks, I'm hopeless as a worship player. I need to really play well, so God, are we really pleased with me? God's pleased with you anyhow, because you're his child. He says, my delight is in you. So you don't have to play to impress or get God's favour. You play because you've already got God's favour. William Tyndale, the guy who translated the Bible first time, printed Bible first time in English in about 1525. He wrote in his introduction to the Bible in 1525 that the gospel is that thing which comes into a man's life that makes him sing and dance. Because I'm free. I don't need to impress God now. I can sing, I can dance, I can pray. I can impress God. But we need to remind ourselves of the gospel constantly because we try to fall back into we need to impress God mode. Yeah, we want excellence. We want things to be good. So when people come here, they've got someone welcoming them rather than someone going, morning, welcome to church. And you know, you want excellence. You want happy people. You want things to go well. But not to impress God, because we're God's children. We can't earn his favour. He loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. Anyhow, we can't impress him. When we took communion earlier, what was that? Jesus said, when you take communion, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until We're preaching a sermon with bread and with wine. And we're reminding each other, Jesus died for you. As David and Amy bring round the bread and the wine this morning, It's just a reminder, Jesus died for you. 
You might have blown it in 2019. But Jesus died for you. There's a broken body and poured out blood. Oh, thank you for that reminder, Jesus. Thank you for reminding me every time we take it. There's forgiveness and mercy and grace. When we're in the thick of it and it hits the fan and we're thinking life is a total car wreck. We don't want to listen to just what Oprah says. Do better. Do this. Do that. Try and get your life sorted out. We need to be reminded Jesus has already won the victory for you. Jesus is in control of your life. Things look bad at the moment. And we encourage people with the facts of the gospel. Doesn't mean we march right in there straight away like a Dalek churning out Bible verses and stuff. But just gently and prayerfully, we encourage one another. You're not a hopeless case. Because there are no hopeless cases with Jesus. So I, you as individuals, need to hear the gospel. Christians, we need to hear the gospel. And then, of course, there's the people outside who don't know the gospel, who think that the church of God is as useful as monopoly money, that it's there just to play a game with. But the church of God isn't of any real purpose. There's thousands upon thousands of people in this local area who don't yet know the wonderful, glorious news that can set them singing, can set them dancing, that Jesus said, that's been paid for. It's been paid in full. It's finished. And just like on that day of the Emancipation Proclamation, the 1st of January, 1863, every slave in America was set free. But they didn't know about it. Somebody had to go and tell them the good news. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to be working 15, 20 hours a day on the plantation anymore. You don't have to be that person's sex slave anymore. Your children don't have to be in bondage anymore. Somebody had to go and tell them. And it's the same with us. They've been set free. The price has been paid. But we need to go and tell them. And we don't need to know a four-point plan. We can just tell them about Jesus. That there's someone who loved them enough, was willing to lie down, lay down his life so that they could be forgiven. And if you can't even think about that, say, look, come to church with me. Somebody there can tell you all about it, but I know you can have a new start and a new purpose in life. We're going to worship God in a minute. I'm going to hand over to Mike. But I just want us to maybe close with these thoughts this morning. That just like Paul said, the gospel is for you. You need to let that word about Jesus start to influence you and shape your thinking this year. And maybe there's people here this morning, you've heard the gospel time in, time out. But my prayer has been, God, may we be amazed that with it, Jesus, you are worth it. In response to your mercy, I'm giving you my life as a living sacrifice. Maybe that's a person down your road, at work, at college, 
and you think that person really needs Jesus. I'm going to pray for them on a regular basis and I'm going to pray that God will give me an opportunity to either actually talk to them about Jesus or invite them to church where they can hear about Jesus. The Emancipation Proclamation went out of the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Not signed by Abraham Lincoln, but signed by the blood of Jesus when he said, it is finished. You can go free. It's a day of good news. It's a year of good news. And if you want prayer for anything this morning, as we're worshiping, come forward. We'd love to have opportunity to pray with you, to pray things over with you, and just to remind you, Jesus is involved in this. The good news of Jesus affects this because whatever it is that's troubling your heart this morning, Jesus has paid for it. The cross of Jesus covers it. Amen. Amen.